it's the standard of offering that we give to people in pubs now is important because everyone's a foodie. Um, everyone sees it on TV. Um, so everyone will give you their opinion. And I say it to people all the time, so I'm here to educate you at the same time as cookware. So that's what I want to do. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. When people start careers in hospitality, there's never really any assurances of where it might lead, the bumps they may encounter along the road, or what opportunities might present themselves. But it can lead to the most extraordinary experiences all over the globe and to roles far larger than one could conceive. Jamie Gannon is the group executive chef of Laundy Hotels. Jamie, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good. You've got a pretty busy job. How many venues are you looking after? Um, there's 28 at the moment, and then at the end of this year, we'll have, t- we'll have 30. Um, so there's a few. It's, um, it's definitely a different role that I thought I'd find myself in years ago, um, but we've just grown. We've just really grown through the last, well, I've been there five and a half years. I had a, short, I had a spell with um, Fastage with the Terminus for a period in between there and then kind of evolved back to Laundry after the first lockdown. So we've just gone nuts with growing and buying and building pubs, really. Give us a sense of the scale. What sort of, how many sort of employees are we talking about? And what does it take for you to do what you do? Um, We need good people around you for one. Um, I've got a really good group head chef that works alongside me, uh, who does a lot of a lot of the hard yards with a lot of the smaller venues, especially up the coast, because um, we go from Tea Gardens at Hawknest all the way down south to Calderwood, where there's a new one, and then also South Dubbo Tavern, which is in Dubbo. So there's a massive, uh, there's a there's a big broad area that we have to um, cover. So, but I'm lucky. There is some good people that work at Laundy that's um, come into the business recently, especially Arthur's kids that have come back into the fold. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Give us a sense of the sort of how different some of the offerings are. Are there some that you're sort of putting a lot of energy into at the moment that you can tell us about? Yeah, so we just refinished rebuilding the log cabin out of Penrith, so it burnt down in 2012. Um, above log cabin is going to be our Laundie's first restaurant, which is a casual fine dining. Um, all around, designed around all the local farmers and the growers in that Hawkesbury Nepean area. So we've reached out to oh, it's probably eight or nine farms, and when we did the map of where we were going to get our produce from, at least, well, at least every dish on the menu has got a one or two ingredients from a local farm within 50 k's of the actual dining room, which is pretty unique. We did, I didn't think it'd be that close. We were trying to hit 100, um, but like we've got Melanda Park pork for Ebenezer. You know, we've got oranges from Schofields, gourmet herbs from Windy Hills. Um, we've just ticked a lot of boxes. Um, so that's really unique for that area. And then we're probably taking a bit of Sydney and taking it out to the west because um, it's a massive growing region at the moment. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the food offering in the pubs. Have you seen an evolution and of change in that regard, especially from the consumer and their expectations? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, pub food's like in five years it's changed. You know, in 10 years it's done a massive change. You know, there's a lot of pubs now hitting, you know, restaurant quality dishes and people expect it in a venue. Um, you know, like our entry-level rump is a Wagyu 
MB4 in a pub um, offering. So, you know, and I think it's it's really important to get those pub classics correct in a in a pub because when you look at the sales, it doesn't matter where your pub is, it's your schnitzels, your palmy, your steaks, all those, you know, fish and chips, all those staples that you need to tick the box really well because that's what the consumer wants in a, in a venue. But in saying that, there's also... The other side, you know, we've got Woolwich Pier, which is in Hunters Hill, which has got a really high offering. We're just about to finish the renovation for Woolly Bay in Woolloomooloo, which will have a rooftop bar, a level one restaurant, and then just a, a pub offering on the ground with Tab down there. So, um, yeah, the offerings differ everywhere. But our staples are always, um, you know, need to be spot on. Pub classics, I guess you call it. You've been working on the Woolloomooloo Hotel, uh, as you just mentioned. There'll be a restaurant and a pub offering. Tell us a bit about what you're creating there. Well, it's a, it's a Mediterranean uh, concept. So rooftop bar will be all small plates um, with obviously Mediterranean twist on it. Level one will then be a, I think it's a 120-seat restaurant, which is where the main kitchen is of a Mediterranean offering. Um, but we're, we're kind of going to a bit of Greece, a bit of Italian, a little bit of French. It's not We're not hitting one. Um, so it's quite broad. Um, just to hit those few different markets. So that's exciting. Um, all share, more share. I think my, my style is all about sharing um, in the middle of the table than, you know, sitting down to an individual dish. So all sharing Mediterranean. And then ground level is just pub classics with a little bit of a Mediterranean twist to it. So that should be a thumper in Woolly Bay. It's just been, it was supposed to open in November, but because the building's 100 years old, they just found lots of uh, issues along the way. Especially with this rain, it's um, it's delayed us a lot. So, so yeah. Take us back to when you were young. What what sort of role did food play in your family? Um, mate, I don't have really. There's no love story here for you. Um, it's not pretty. Like I didn't, well, my mum wasn't the best cook. She was a good cook. Um, there was no real good chef in my family. But for, I think it was year ten home economics. And I stunk at making a pencil case, but I seem to go really, really well at baking and cooking in home ec. So I thought I explored this, and I, I had a, a grandfather who was in the navy, um, and I looked into getting into the navy as a chef. And mate, by the time I was seven and a half, I was in a rosebud tafe down in uh, Mornington doing my um, my cookery cert three in while in the navy. So. Um, so yeah, it was good. I think it's that my years in the navy set me up with a good work ethic now, and I guess some discipline, a little bit of a little bit of a lunatic, but um, aren't we all somewhere? Take us back to sort of when you were young there and doing your apprenticeship. Um, do you have any stories of that time in the navy? Oh, I don't know. Is this a PG show? Or- <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> nah. Look, I think you know. I think I remember my first, my very first day at recruit school. And I was 17, so I just left home with mum making my bed and doing everything for me, and I got gastro. Maybe it was the Navy cooking, I'm not sure. But I was literally on the top bunk, and I rolled over to my other chief PTI, who was my instructor. She was rough as guts. Like, she, like she would punt, yeah, she, she was hardcore. You think of G.I. Jane, put another 10 on top of her. And I literally rolled over told her and told her where to go. I'm not getting out of bed, I'm sick. And she literally dragged me from the top bunk down to the floor and dragged me out to the playground. So I'm literally sitting on the playground. I swear I was going to shit myself. Um, and just swaying there, and she just made me stand there for the next two hours. 
she didn't care what happened to me. So that was 1998. It's probably not that bad anymore. Um, but that was my um, that was my introduction to the workforce in the navy. So yeah, it was fun. What sort of influence did your time in the Navy have on you? Did you have any mentors or cooking experiences that you can tell us about? Yeah, I think I think what held me in good stead for when I got out of the Navy was the fact that when I was down in Melbourne, I worked in restaurants down in the peninsula. So my best mate now, Chris Polly, he was in the Navy with me, so I worked with him. And we've also got another good friend, Steve Davison, who I worked with down in Mornington. So we'd literally work all day in the Navy, work in the restaurant at night and then vice versa and obviously party hard at the same time. So Polly and Steve are probably two big influences in my early stage of my career, especially when it comes to work ethic and, you know, work hard, play hard. And I think integrity in what everything that you put out on a plate, I think it's always, you know, it's important that, you know, you maintain a standard. It doesn't matter what you're doing or where you're cooking, that, you know, you're hitting that standard all the time. That's probably the hardest thing we I find these days with, um, you know, the, the chefs that are around and the cooks that are coming through, it's just holding them to that standard of acceptability. Um, but I definitely learned that at a very early age. I think it was a combination with the discipline of the Navy, but also the discipline of those two blokes that helped me get through, you know, the first seven and a half, eight years of my career. Um, so, yeah, and probably after I joined, so I was at sea within 18 months, I think. And then I had a decommissioned HMH Brisbane, which was the old DDG. I think she sunk off Brisbane. Uh, I think she's up Sunshine Coast. I think she sunk. And then I did seven and a half months up in the Gulf um, in 2000, 2001. So right in the mix. So definitely learned a lot there. Um, and again, discipline. So, yeah. Did you get the opportunity to explore any cuisines around the world while, while in the Navy? Yeah, I think I went to Dubai probably five times, Singapore, um, did a world tour. Look, we spent a lot of time drinking in the Navy, not so much eating when we pulled into a port. <laughs> so um, there's probably not that many, but I definitely remember um, there was a Fairmont Hotel in Dubai. It was like the lift, I think it was like 15 stories or something, but the lift inside the hotel was like a fish, a goldfish um, tank. So all these fish swimming around you. When you went to the top, there's like five different cuisines, like Italian, French, Malaysian, um, Greek, and you could literally order from whichever kitchen you wanted to. So that was probably 99, 2000. Um, so, yeah, and Singapore, Singapore, there was some good mate, but I can't really tell you what I ate or how good it was. It was so long ago, and I was, you know, probably stuck into it then. So, yeah. No real fantasy stories for you. Tell us a bit about the time when you left the Navy and sort of immersed yourself in the hospitality sector. Was it was it difficult? Um, I think the transition from having something so structured and then trying to f- find that structure again, I guess in Sibby land, as we used to call it, um, you know, I, I leased, I went straight from the Navy to leasing kitchens of pubs. So I was, I was, I was living up in Engadine at the time. Um, Intersection Tavern was one that I had down at Ramsgate, Janali Inn years ago, Peakhurst Inn. So I used to lease kitchens. Um, and I was probably, what was I, 22, 23, I think, 24. Um, so I was probably too young to do that, I reckon, in hindsight now, but learnt a lot. And then once I realised that, you know, this 
I'm working for these businesses, but I've got nothing to show for it because I'm, you know, working within someone else's pub, giving them the, I'm getting the revenue, obviously, but I'm increasing their business and bringing the punters in. So then I opened a cafe down in Gotmere called Cafe Naked, which um, probably wasn't the best experience of my career. Um, but again, learned a lot um, about business and about probably myself. Um, and when that got, when I shut that down, because I was a bit of a Barney with the landlord, I literally, I threw out my chef jackets. So I'm done. I never don't want to cook again. Didn't know what I was going to do, but I was just done. It was just the whole cooking thing had just broken me. You know, I was like, I blew out, blew heaps of money in the business. I burnt myself out. I said, I'm done. So I didn't work oh, probably maybe three months. I was actually helping a mate do scrap metal just to zone out. Um, and then another good friend of mine, Paul Jury, rings me. And he goes, mate, I need you to help me. I'm like, mate, I'm done. He's like, nah, I just want you to come and help me for a few weeks. And this was at the Mill Hotel at Mill Para. And I'm like, oh, mate, all right. So I went online, brought myself a chef jacket, and started pushing on again. Um, and that was a really funny one because I was meant to just help him on the grill for a few weeks. That turned around. I ended up being the head chef within a few months. <laughs> Um, he moved on, and then within probably 12 months, I was group executive chef of 10 pubs. <laughs> I'm like, here we go again, right? Um, so that was that was then again. I was probably too young for that role. Um, my, especially my management style probably wasn't where it needed to be. Um, after, you know, after certain reasons, I obviously moved on from there. And I had I probably took a month off from work, and I actually emailed Arthur because I was living in Bath Hill down at Twin Willows. And I said, hey, here I am. This is what I do. Go to your pub, have your schooners. I reckon I could help you with your food offering. Didn't know didn't know what state his food offering was in because it basically was non-existent. It just food just wasn't a thing that they – it was an afterthought. afterthought and um, I guess that's good for all the kids that have come back now, all of his kids, you know, where food is a real drive in the business. Um, so, yes, now I found myself being the executive chef for Laundry Hotels. And I'm just, yeah, it just grew, right? So, I probably did that for about 12 months, but I felt stale. Like, I think the hardest thing in this role is trying to reinvent yourself. But everything you do, and I'll say this everything you do or, or you're doing is executed by someone else that you don't really have 100% control over. So, it's a representation of yourself, right? Um, and I just found because of the skill set I had, the chefs that wanted to start with, and I guess where I was, I just had no creativity. I was just, I just had nothing. It was like it was just blank. Um, so, and that's where I literally started doing a couple of shifts at Banksia for Fass uh, and Clayton, just to get my eye in, just my day off. And then Terminus popped up for them, and Clayton hit me, hit me up, and I said, you know what, I probably need to step back to go forward. So I went back and did the um, head chef job consultant role for Terminus for oh, fuck, 18 months, two years nearly, um, in a full-time capacity, um, working with Colin, which was really good. It was it put me back in to the hospital life, I guess. Like I learnt, you know, how to love cooking and love what I was doing. Um, you know, I went back into being a head chef and managed my own kitchen. And, you know, we turned that business around in four weeks. Like the guys, you know, it was a single operator, no, had no idea about food and beverage. And they, you know, 
renovate a pub and go, let's, let's operate it. No idea. Um, so it was really good to get back into it. And I guess oh, it sounds a bit corny, but just fall in love with food, I guess. Colin Fasnage has had an incredible influence and he's known a bit of as a larrikin, but what sort of impact did he have on you in recapturing your mojo for the industry? Oh, well, I could talk about the many wines we had. <laughs> Late nights. <laughs> um, no, I just think it was, I think it was like he's, he's obviously, he's a very good chef, but what I liked is the fact that he would have his ideas and it's his name and I was very respectful of his brand and I made sure that we stuck to that every time we did something. And I think he realised that I was always looking after his brand along the way. Um, but he gave me a lot of he, he gave me a lot of leeway. Like he, he allowed me to do a lot of things to try different stuff with his brand. And then obviously, you know, he let, allowed me to, you know, basically write the menus and he just signed off on it, which I thought was really good. Um, you know, I thought I've got this great chef who's allowing me to do this for him for his name. Um, so it kind of gave me a bit of a, you know, pep in my step, I guess. Um, and they're just really good people to work for. You know, Jane, Colin, Clayton, Daz is like a bit of a silent guy. Um, they were just, just a cool bit of work for. And, I, you know, I took obviously a pay cut to go back and to step back, but I realised I had to go back to go forward. Um, and then probably after the first lockdown, it kind of changed because Arthur asked me to come back one day a week after I'd been gone for a period of time. So I said, okay, I'll come back and help you. Because um, I never liked to burn a bridge. I never liked to burn a bridge. Um, and then after the first lockdown, it kind of changed. I went to working at Terminus one day a week and three days a week at Laundie again as a consultant. And then after the second lockdown, it completely flipped again. So I was full-time at Laundie and then kind of really phased out of the whole Terminus. But then obviously the contract at Terminus has been given up now or they've moved on. They've got, you know, the Castle Ray and they're back at Banks here kind of thing. Um, so it just, yeah, it just flips. No, but there, no, I didn't push it to flip. It just kind of happened. But I think I'm much better in my role now for Laundie Hotels now that I had that whole circle. You know, you know I got to do bestest for kids with Guillaume, Peter Gilmore, you know, Jackie from No Man. I got, I got, you know, I got in contact with, you know, connected with Manu, you know, so we, you know, I use his sources in our venues now, um, which was obviously very controversial at the time because it's like putting your hand up going, yep, I'm getting a pre-made source. But when you compare it to what the normal sources are like in a pub, you know, the world's apart. It's a fresh source with natural ingredients. You know, so I connected with a lot of people that, you know, would, you know, help me in my next phase of my career, I guess. Um, so, yeah. With that step backwards that you had to enable you to step forward, how different was your role once you stepped into Laundie after that experience and your sort of creativity had been influenced? Um, yeah, I think it's... The role, obviously, the role because we were growing so much. I like the biggest thing, the biggest issue I had, or well, not issue, but my concern with Laundry at the time was it was just pubs, you know. And it's only until now that I've got pubs where I've got two restaurants within pubs, you know. So I can do, I've always, I can finally do the food that I want to do. Because at the end of the day, when you've got the consumer in a pub, it could be a Western Sydney pub, it could be in the city, it could be out Dubbo, you've got to give what the consumer wants, right? So it's a it's pub classics, but now I've got two venues, Woolly Bay and Sinclair's above Log Cabin, where I can do the food, the type of food that I want to do because I've finally got that consumer that will pay $150 for a steak, you know, for the best steak possible 
you know, on the market, you know, whereas I, we didn't have that before. So finally, I'm ticking a lot of boxes of stuff that obviously personally for me, um, but the group is growing to be real foodie. You know, we're probably just shy of, you know, a million a week turnover in food sales, um, you know, from, you know, 13 grand bistros to poor log cabin open up doing, you know, doing over 200K in the first couple of weeks. Um, you know what I mean? So there's, there's, there's massive changes. So um, it's definitely helped me grow with the business. I couldn't do what I do now at Laundy if I hadn't stepped back and had that time with uh, social colon and terminus. Never would have been possible. I know a lot of your role involves the management of so many venues and ensuring the food operations are, are running smoothly. But you mentioned the two restaurants now that is allowing a creative outlet. Tell us a bit about your food. Is there any a dish or two that you can tell us about in these restaurants that have sort of ignited that in you? I think Woolly Bay, I, the, the lockdown, the second one, I literally cooked, tested and did every, the whole menu in my kitchen at home. Um so I think having that time that I've never had before was very unique, you know, because I've tested it, trialled it. And, like, there's, no, there's not a Mediterranean bone in my body, but I think it enabled me to, you know, produce a Mediterranean-style menu, but, you know, by doing a lot of research and speaking to a lot of people and leaning on suppliers, and I had that time where normally when I'm, you know, I've got 25 venues to run, I don't have time to do that. Um, and the same with Sinclair's. You know, I think Sinclair's is obviously all about local, um, lo the local growers. So writing that menu was probably the easiest one I've done because I literally went to the farmers, you know, and said, you know, this is your Mickey was like the court. He's a young 12-year-old that grows corn um, out in the Hawkesbury. And I said, Mickey, what would you do with this corn? And he goes, I'd make a soup out of it. I said, oh, right. So, you know, I'm going to try and bring that to the dining room. You know, I said, what about this cauliflower, Mickey? He goes, cauliflower and cheese. So, you know, when this cauliflower season comes back around again, out that way, Mickey's cauliflower and cheese will be on the menu. Um, so I think the lockdowns helped me to find time to actually give these two venues the time they needed because in the normal hustle and bustle of days that are running events, you don't have that time. You know, and Sinclair's has been pushed back. We're due to open it on the 1st of June because we don't have staff. And the chefs we had hired are downstairs in the pub because we're getting so smashed. Um, you know, we finally found a restaurant manager. So 1st of June is the, you know, when we open, which will only be Friday, Saturday, Sunday lunch, just because we don't have the staff to go anymore at the moment. So... You mentioned um, with the with the many pubs that you ran when you're in your early twenties that you were probably too young and your management style was different to what it is now. Tell us about your management style now and and what you've learnt um, now that you're sort of further on in your career. Yeah, um, you know I've definitely tamed down a lot. You know I was probably a hothead. Um, I was probably expected things. You know I've got a high level of expectation. I expect you know everyone to do what I. You know, I do to a certain level. And I think my problem was I didn't bring a lot of the young people on for the journey to teach them that expectation. I just expected it. Um, so I've, I've, you know, I've learned to get the best out of people. And right now in the industry, like having someone is better than having no one. So if that one person can tick three boxes out of 10, then you're going to take them and you're going to use them for those three boxes and use them the best as you can because that, that's, what we, that's what we need to do at the moment. Like the industry is probably in, you know, the worst state I've ever seen and probably a lot of people would think it'd be in. Um, you know, so I think my time with Colin, 
coming back to laundry full time, working closely with um, the laundry family, and obviously the industry and the state it's in has all helped me to be a better manager. Um, not that I was a bad manager before, but I definitely had a different style. It was probably very abrupt. I was probably very loud. Um, bit of a Ramsey, I guess. Um, so, but I've definitely taken that out of me. There's still a bit there. Don't trust me. The, you know, the eye still twitches a bit when something happens. You know, I think Mother's Day at Lock Cabin, I stood on the pass for 12 hours and I got home and said to the missus, I can't do this anymore. I can't stand on the pass for 12 hours and get thumped. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, not at this volume. You know, I can't take me upstairs where I'm going to do 40 covers in three sittings. You know, that's what I want to do. Um, but yes, yeah, the management style was. I still got the same expectations, but I think I've managed the expectations better. You know, getting it out of, you know, the personnel that work for me, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Does that make sense? You're the driving force behind the food offering for like 28 pubs now and, and more to come. What, what makes a great pub food offering? Um, mate, obviously the pub classics, like I said before, you have to tick that box. But, I mean, like Arthur's been in hospitality for – uh, 50, 60 years, whatever it is. And he's very old school Republican. Like he can still pour a cracking beer, you know. So he, he still walks around the dining rooms when he comes to a venue. Like Marsden Park, the big one out at Marsden, he walks around that every every Saturday and Sunday and talks to every single customer to ask what their meal's like. Um, so I think it's the standard of offering that we give to people in pubs now is important because everyone's a foodie. Um, Everyone sees it on TV, um, so everyone will give you their opinion. If they don't get what they get paid for, because food's expensive now, right? Um, you know, it's, a lot of things have gone up 30 40%. You know, so it's a consistent offering that you need to give your customer, you know, day in, day. Um, it's probably, you know, that's probably where we tick a lot of boxes. You know, I've worked hard with the chefs on our pub classics because it's important to the pubs to drive them. You know, we still crumb all our schnitzels in-house, um, you know, we, we batter our own fish. You know, I've, I've brought a lot of stuff that I used to do back in when I was younger into the pubs. You know, if our, if our volume is 7,000 covers a week, then we're going to taper our offering so we can still batter our fish, still crumb our own stencils, but we give a smaller menu so we can still do all the things right. You know, I'm not, I don't want to get fish out of a box. I don't want to get a stencil that's pre-crumbed. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I want to make the pizza sauce. You know, we obviously I've partnered up with Manu and his sauce range for the pubs, which I think's another, you know, it's another turn in the cog of food in um, pubs because, mate, nine, five, nine out of ten pubs that you go to, it's, it's a powdered gravy mix. I just think it's dirty. It's dirty, right? But I can't get the chefs to make these sauces fresh, one, because it's a skill set, and two, because of the price and consistency. You know, now I've got the consistency of the sauce that goes through all the venues, and you know, and it's been it's, it's been a challenge because it's I said, like I said to Manu when we first did it, I said, you know, your sauces have got a lot of flavour. You know, Western Sydney people don't want a lot of flavour. You know, so it's kind of it's, you know, and that's no disrespect. So it's like it's it's an education for everyone, right? For our staff, for the customers, and I say it to people all the time. So I'm here to educate you at the same time as cookware. So that's what I want to do. If we can change and change something better, you know, then let's do it. Um, so, yeah. You've rediscovered your mojo and um, creating some incredible offerings with the Laundie group. What do you love about what you do? Um, I think that it's every day is different. Um, that I can 
that I can, you know, make a change and a positive change in a venue or, you know, I can create something from the ground up. You know, I think this year we've built five pubs. I've designed five or six kitchens then seeing that come to fruition and then executed, um, you know, it's, it's satisfying. It's really satisfying, um, you know, designing something from the base and basically, you know, it's, to a point, the laundries are giving me like your free reign. You know, they don't hold me back and say, we can't do that. Like, they've given me the, the reign to say, yep, let's just see what you can do. And at the moment, we've done really well as a group, you know. And it's not just me. We've got a really strong marketing team now. Uh, Justin, the CEO, has come in from May Group. Um, you know, Jason in Ops. Like, we've got a really good executive team where we're all pushing in the same direction. Um, so it's a really exciting time for the Laundies, especially the family. Well, uh, congratulations on what you're building there, Jamie. It's an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. No worries. Thanks for chatting. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.